When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode has been sponsored by A Generation You Can. More about our sponsor later on in the show. You're listening to episode 197 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about VO2 max and the heart rate zones. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational, and let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners, and welcome to episode 197. I'm your host, Letty. And I'm Ryan. And we are your weekly hosts of this Marathon Running Podcast. Welcome if you're new and a first-time listener, and welcome back if you've listened to us before. Thank you for tuning back in. So, Letty, you sound a little stuffy. Do I? <laughs> I think you do, actually. Uh, I'm not just saying that, so I wonder if any of the listeners noticed. But So, you've been sick. I have been sick. I got hit by our kid's bug this Saturday. Well, to remind people, our kids are five and seven, so they're early elementary kids. And so they basically get sick every few weeks while they're in school, it seems. Every once in a while, we'll catch it too. Yeah, but we've dodged it. I've I've kind of taken note of it. We haven't gotten sick since last September. It has been a while. It has been a while, and I was hoping that I would dodge it just for a couple more weeks, but it didn't happen. But you've got Tokyo coming up in a week-ish? Yes, that's why this sickness is not really playing in very well into our timeline. It was a forced taper, right? I had one more 20-miler yesterday, and I couldn't even walk a quarter mile. I was so dizzy. So, you know, but what do they say? The haze in the barn... The hay is in the barn. Yeah. Like you've already collected it? It's ready, it's dried, and it's ready to be eaten. Oh. Is that like a German saying? I don't know. I thought it was English. It might be. I, I don't know it. But it kind of, I mean, some of those German sayings are kind of fun because they actually make sense, even though it's never said here. <laughs> so I can be, I can look at it or think about it and be like, oh, I guess that, that does make sense. Yeah. So today's guest is Martin Bailey. He's a friend of ours. He's Canadian. Him and his wife, Isabel, actually spend winters down in Florida and the rest of their time they spend in Canada. Um, so I guess he's an engineer by training and met Lonnie or, and met Letty. Your wife. My wife through local run groups. So what made you pick him to talk on this topic? Uh, I picked him because he's a very avid learner, kind of like you. He's got the engineer's brain and he dives deeply into these scientific topics behind running to the point that he knows way more than a lot of running coaches that we encounter nowadays. So um, I've had some really fascinating conversations with him about VO2 max and heart rate and everything else in between in the past. And I've tried to get him on the podcast for a long time. He always said, well, you know, I don't really have the background for it. He's very humble. Um, and then finally, when he ran the Chicago Marathon last year at a blazing pace of 235, 
I knocked on his door again and I said, Martin, I think it's time that you come on the podcast. And he finally felt like he had enough credibility, I think, um, you know, because he's, he's been coached, but he also analyzes everything. He studied Kipchoge's training and he delved into it. And I think he's literally more savvy than most on this topic. Yeah, I think Martin can back up some of it just based on how well he's done running recently. And um, speaking from, I did an engineering also as undergraduate. I think speaking from an engineer standpoint, you do like to analyze things a lot. And, you know, if he was just someone that analyzed things but couldn't back it up, that's one thing. But it, he seems to be very successful in his running. And he's not a young spring chicken out of college. He's actually a little bit older like we are. Yeah, he's like 69. Not 69. <laughs> Sorry, Martin. 39. <laughs> he's still younger than us, but but he's not, you know what I mean? He's not just like a high schooler that's just naturally talented necessarily. I mean, he probably has some natural talent too, but he also, you know, I'm sure is dedicated to his training and learning about how to get better and it seems to be paying off. Yes. And, and, you know, just being able to just read the data and, you know, little things that he tells you, you know, when you'd go take your VO2 max test and also grab all this other data because it'll help you further define your heart rates and all that little stuff that is really hard to find when browsing channels or even talking to other run coaches is really impressive. Yeah. I think, um, hopefully people will find his like information he's gathered and been useful for himself. Useful. Yes, exactly. So you want to get into it? Yes, Ryan, let's do it. Without any further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Martin Bailey. All right, so I'm here with Martin, a.k.a. VO2Martin on Instagram. Martin is my personal friend, and Martin, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Letty. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Perfect, yes. And I've been trying to get you on before, and our listeners will learn about how much you know. When it comes to these complicated questions, you're going to dumb them down for us. So let's get started, though, with a brief little intro about who you are, what you do, and um, then we'll also kind of get into how you've gotten so fast. All right. Thanks, Lady. Well, I have to be humble about this. Um, I didn't want to come on the interview because I don't have a PhD and uh, anything, and uh, I thought I didn't know because I'm learning so much. Um, so, But I feel that's that's part of the equation of you know being a good runner is you have to keep an open mind and be willing to learn, be willing to be uh, proven wrong and uh I've been doing that for a good uh, two, three years, and hopefully I have some, some insights that I can share today with you. So, um, yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm actually a software engineer, and I started running with a lot of passion during the pandemic. I joined the running club, and uh, most people in my club were running marathons, which really scared me. But then I decided to uh, give the half marathon a try, and I loved it. And then... Uh, built up to the marathon and I'm, I'm really I'm, I'm hooked now yes you are hooked and um let's talk about your running times because you've not been running marathons for that long but tell us about your pr well tell us about your first marathon and your current pr sure well um it all started a little over a year ago when i ran my first marathon i have to say that i had prepared for it um for at least two years of serious structured training uh, with a group. So uh, I, I knew what I was getting into. I had run a 127 and then a 124 half marathon. So I knew I could do somewhere around three hours. And I ended up running 258 uh, on, a, on a hilly course. So I was pretty happy about that and um, motivated, me, motivated me to keep training harder. 
for the next one, which was um, the first one was Quebec City. And then I ran the Ottawa Marathon about um, six months later. And uh, sadly, I was I was a little injured, so I had to hold back, but still did a pretty good time in 250. And I probably had it, I guess, at 245 in me that day. But uh, um, but yeah, so 250. I was pretty happy with that. And I thought, okay, next time I'll sign up for Chicago and I'll, I'll try to beat that. I was hoping to do 245, 240. And as you know, uh, I know we met <laughs> we met in Chicago. The weather was fantastic. It was just such good conditions. World record was broken that day. It was so motivating, and I uh, just uh, pushed harder and ran at two thirty five and forty one. Because um, I was I was a little um, surprised myself, but you know that day <laughs> it was pretty exciting. So three hours to two thirty five. That's a big jump because I was in Chicago too. And I had the same weather you had, and I didn't have this massive jump. And obviously, massive jumps are all relative. I feel like the closer we get to our fullest potential, the smaller the hops can be. But that's a big jump. So I feel like it's always the engineering brain people that do well because you analyze stuff. So tell us the secret. How did you get so fast? Was it reading um, about Kipchoge? Because I know you studied his training. Or what was it that you did? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, well, I have to say the first thing is getting the foundation right. So for me, joining a running club, uh, La Foulée in Quebec City was very um, important. Um, having the support of other runners, learning from their experience, uh, having a great coach, um, not, not just for the, you know, what workouts to do, but just the, the, uh, the mental aspect of running, how to get ready, have a good strategy and um, you know, the motivation around it. So the structured workouts were key. I had a regular schedule as much as possible for that time leading up to Chicago. And uh, and then obviously, as you pointed out, being an engineer, you're always trying to understand what how things work. And that's, that's what I do. I'm a curious person. Um, so I, I get down to the details of what happens inside my body, why I do a certain workout. And um, I think that's helped me quite a bit. So I'm trying to, um, to train as smart as I can, uh, spend time on weaknesses. I feel like that's the, that's the main thing, really, is, is trying to figure out what your bottlenecks are if you want to improve. And, um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. I, I did study what Kipchoge did and... Um, you know, first thing that I learned is that no human is limited. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now kidding aside, um, I feel like Kipchoge surprisingly runs really slow in his easy, easy days. And that's been very inspiring to me. I thought, oh, if this guy can run so slow, what am I doing running faster than he does on easy days? So that's that's how I got um, interested in, in the whole, um, you know, I guess split between hard workouts and recovery days and i started running way slower than i used to yes and a lot of that you talk to us about in your in your current local running club and you talk about you explain it using different zones and and heart rates maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how those zones work and then most importantly you know we all get garments and they have preset heart rate zones how are they right or not right? Right. Um, 
Well, the zones are very important, um, but they have to mean something to you. And and um, I, I see a lot of runners just ignore them. Maybe the first reason is that the zones are based on heart rate and you have to trust your heart rate data. So, you know, first things first, uh, a lot of people wear their watch to be comfortable, not snug. And then what happens is usually your heart rate is not in the right place. There's, um, there's something called cadence lock that usually happens if your watch is not really tight, um, which which basically your 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 watch is um, showing you your cadence instead of, instead of your heart rate because it keeps moving around. And um, so you have to make that reliable, you know, always wash it. And especially if there's sweat, sunscreen, or if you have cold hands, it doesn't work well. Um, so I, I actually tend to do a lot of my runs with a um, heart rate strap. This way I can trust that data. I actually started racing with a chest you know, chest strap. <laughs> so you got to get used to that. But uh, this is very helpful. The reason it is, is when you look at heart rate zones, um, you're actually looking at what's, what happens inside your body and what fuel you draw from. So I know you just did a, an episode on that, which is really helpful. I invite people to listen to it. I just did. And um, and that's that's very helpful to know what fuel you're using because during a race, you can optimize, uh, you know, your, I guess, your fuel economy. Use draw from the right pool of fuel and during training, you can work on the one that's the you know, biggest bottleneck for you. That makes sense. Um, so, so before we get into the zones, and, and you asked me about the Garmin zones, but I think we should cover uh, what the zones actually represent because there's so many systems. Sometimes you hear about three zone system, and sometimes you hear about five zones or more zones. I, I've seen up to seven zones, but for most marathon runners, five zones is is more than enough to describe what happens inside your body, and and really it, it's um representation of um of shifting from low end aerobic exercise where you use predominantly fat is fat oxidation and that that's basically a fuel that you have uh, a non-limited supply of for all intensive purposes and unless you run like multi-day ultra marathons you don't run out of fat especially in the marathon and and then as you progress to maybe zone three um, zone four, you start using way more carbs or, you know, uh, muscle glycogen or blood glucose, that sort of, that sort of stuff. And that's a finite amount of fuel. Um, so if your body's really good at using that fuel, it's going to use more of it. And during the race, you're going to run out. Or what happens is you're going to max out the potential power or energy that you can produce from that fuel, say carbs. And that's as fast as you can go. So even if you run only a 5K and you don't have to worry about running out of fuel like you do in a marathon, um, you might be maxing out how much power you can produce because you don't get the power from fat as well. So that's, that's part of the training. For most people, creating energy from fat is a bottleneck. Um, I mean, we can get into more details if, if you want about why that is. Um, but that's, that's what I realized that was my bottleneck and, uh, that's what I've been working on. I think that explains why I made, you know, such fast progress. 
Yeah. So since yeah. that is, you know, what your drawback was and now you're better at it, let's hop into that topic of, you know, creating more energy from fat. Sure. Um, well, I have to say, look, everybody's different. You know, we have different backgrounds before running. Sometimes we've done different sports. And for me, that was, uh, I played soccer and I played hockey, not at a high level, but that was the kind of exercise that I did. Both sports really rely on, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers, it's sprinting through the ball or, you know, just sprinting to score. And then you play for about 45 seconds and then you sit on the bench. It's a really different form of exercise than it is uh, running a marathon, obviously. So I think I was pretty good at sprinting. I had power, but no endurance, really. And uh, so I found early on that, you know, I had to work on that. I didn't do any testing back in the day, but I probably didn't produce much power from fat. And when I realized that um, that Kipchoge does a lot of these, his, his easy runs really slow, like about for him, a nine minute mile or 10 minute mile is really slow. It's basically he's walking. His heart rate's probably 100 or 120. I don't know, but he's just chilling. And so I started doing that. Um, it was pretty slow for me. So I did run as slow as possible for over six months. Um, I think that's what I spent most of my time doing two, three years ago. Um, nine minute miles, 10 minute miles, just, um, you know, no, no effort, just trying to work on two things, basically having my body, um, you know, give it sufficient time to produce energy from fat and, um, and also convert some of that fast twitch fibers to slow twitch to become more efficient, or at least let your muscle recruit that slow twitch so it gets trained and it gets stronger and more efficient. So you have to, yeah, really slow down for quite a bit. And um, yeah, I noticed over time, um, as I limited the heart rate to zone one, zone two, mostly zone one really, like, then to make sure that, um, I'm, I'm working on that bone and it just got better. Um, I just got faster over time, but you have to ignore the pace. Definitely ignore the pace, um, go low heart rate and spend as much time as you can there, but don't also don't neglect the, um, um, more, you know, more intense workouts, but just not do that all the time. Cause I feel like a lot of runners, uh, end up always doing like medium efforts, medium to high and thinking that I think, you know, the no pain, no gain mentality is very present, but that's just not how it works. Because if you're always pushing hard, thinking, well, I'll get the most out of my time um, training, actually you don't because you've already developed that aspect of your physiology and uh, you, you hit a plateau because that's that's probably not the bottleneck on race day, just running hard as, as hard as you can. You can't force the pace and hope that, the physiology uh, follows and you know your body doesn't really know uh, about pace it only knows about energy production it's just it's this biochemistry inside your muscles and you have to understand that to teach your body how to uh, work on those bottlenecks 
At this time, we want to thank our sponsor, UCAN. Are you tired of a spike and crash and GI distress that comes with the sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to give UCAN a try. UCAN uses steady-release carbs instead of sugars, so you don't feel the highs and the lows in energy. UCAN powders, gels, and bars are powered by Life Steady, a patent starch-based carbohydrate that was originally developed as a medical food to help children maintain stable blood sugar throughout the night. It's backed by science and truly unique in energy source. Clinically proven to help blood sugar stable during exercise, Live Steady supports sustained performance and optimal energy levels. I've tried UCAN now for the past couple of months and I've been happy with my long runs and how I feel. Also, they don't taste bad and after mile 15, I can still stomach them. Top marathon runners in the US, including Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, and Chiara D'Amato all use UCAN for fuelings. So why shouldn't you give them a try? Especially because Marathon Running Podcast listeners have a chance to try four gels for free. All you pay for is the cost of shipping. So head over to youcan.co forward slash MRP, which by the way, stands for Marathon Running Podcast, to claim this offer and get your free samples. If you are already using UCAN and you want that 20% discount, you can just go to youcan.co and save those 20% with code MRP. We're also having all this linked in our show notes. And now back to the show. My next question would be, when you did run the Chicago Marathon, you just mentioned, okay, I was hoping to run 245 and under, but then you went 10 minutes under. So can you tell us how your approach to that was from a pacing strategy? Mm -hmm. Did it just feel too easy? And then you felt like, okay, I can pick it up. And at what point in the race did you make that determination? Yeah, it was. Um, I did start, I, I had a negative split in mind just because I didn't know how good my fitness would be. Um, you know, I had a decent build you know, leading up to Chicago, but not the highest mileage, or I didn't know how much progress I had made really during that summer. So I started with a negative split. Uh, I think my initial time estimate was between 242 and 245. Um, and obviously when you start Chicago, you're stuck in traffic for quite a bit. So it, you know, I had no choice. I couldn't really go faster, but um, eventually I got um, sort of out of the traffic as passing you know trying to you know jump over the fence by the, the sidewalk you know like the fence uh um yeah the fence post or anyways i was trying not to trip trying to pass people and eventually i could speed up a little bit and i think i think at some point um the estimate was 240 and i felt good i, I felt like i was um in that spot where I'll give you more details just after this, but I was in a spot where I knew I was mostly burning fat and I was definitely using a little bit of carbs, you know, glycogen, but not much. So I thought, wow, okay, I'm in a good spot. I knew the water was cold. So I wasn't, you know, heart rate wasn't too high. I wasn't sweaty and I just felt, okay, let's, let's keep going into the first half and then see how I feel. And when I crossed the first half, I think I did a 119. So I was, um, I was, you know, way ahead of schedule. And I was still in that spot of feeling nice. So I decided, well, let's, let's speed up a bit. Let's go into, you know, 
higher zone three heart rate and started pushing the pace. And obviously then your mindset is so positive because you're, you're picking up, you know, you're just catching people all the time. And my heart rate went up, but I still felt good. So the, during the whole second half, um, I just sped up, you know, one mile at a time and go a little faster and see how I feel. And, um, and at some point I saw, I think my estimate was 234 and I was getting really excited. As you know, they also announced the world record and everybody picked up the pace. Um, so I, I tried to hold that. But the last, the last 5K is when I decided, okay, last 5K, I'm really going to push as hard as I can. And, uh, and then we had the headwind, which I didn't expect. And also probably at that point, I was starting to fatigue a little bit. I was really getting close to my zone four at that point. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is probably where I need to be for the, the end of the race. I can't go any faster. Uh, I did slow down a bit with the headwind and then I could see, oh, I can still do 235. And um, yeah, I just held that to the end. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, it felt great. It felt great. I, I waited until I saw the 400 meter uh, <laughs> sign to really push and really um, empty the fuel reservoir. You know, I like to finish uh, my marathons with a sprint, which is silly, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I have that extra boost of energy. And I, I had a blast. That's how it happened. Oh, that's amazing. So a couple of things that uh, stuck out to me, you know, to play devil's advocate, obviously, we all would love to see negative splits that usually doesn't happen. And so my question would be, how do you know you're burning mostly glycogen? What's on your Garmin watch face? Do you just have instead of a paste, do you just have the, you know, heart rate zone? Is that your biggest thing that you have on your screen or what is on there? And how did you? It is. No. Yeah, it is. I do pay a lot of attention to my heart rate zone. And uh, so in my previous, in my previous marathon in Ottawa, um, I ran with just my watch and I think my data was reliable until the end. I was dehydrated and I saw my heart rate go up to 194. And I'll never know if this was true or if it was just a glitch, but I sort of panicked. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? This is really high for me. And um, and so ever since I started racing with the, ch you know, the chest strap to make sure that you know I have good data, which I did in Chicago and um, I could really rely on that. And the reason I knew what fuel I was drawing from is that I did a VO2 max test. Uh, I know I've been telling you about this, how helpful that is. Not for the VO2 max number per se, feel like that's a, it's an interesting benchmark but it, it's sort of useless to help your training and your racing what really helps is is you can see what what um what field you're drawing from at every heart rate throughout the test you do this by looking at your um your air exchange like how much um how much uh, co2 production per o2 uptake you have that ratio tells you what fuel you're you're using, and that's that's pretty reliable. So once you have that, you can define your zones in something that's way more useful than the defaults in Garmin or anything else. And the zone one, I describe as basically only fat production, only only fat consumption rather, the fat oxidation with with a little bit of carbs. You're always burning carbs. There's sort of a baseline. Um, that even at rest you're using, I think probably, probably the brain will need some 
you know so there's about 10 percent right and everything else is just um is just fat and um yeah that's zone one eventually you move into zone two um where if you if you do your vo2 max test with a power meter then you can know um your watts as well during the test and so at that point what you notice is um as as you go faster and higher heart rate you need more power than you're able to get from fat alone and then you start you start getting some of that power from carbs the glycogen burn increases and your fat is just maxed out so for example you might be you know maxed out at 200 watts from fat and then anything above that will be carb and that increases in zone two to a point where um where basically you get about 80 percent or 70 percent fat and maybe 20 30 percent carbs at the end of, of zone two but your fat power is basically flat at that point um the end of zone two is is called ventilatory threshold that's usually if you're doing the talk test that's when it starts uh, getting a little harder to talk and you you have to breathe with your mouth if you, if you need your mouth you're basically crossing from zone two to zone three if you're just nose breathing that's a good way to know that you're not overdoing it during training just nose breathing um nice and easy that's that's zone two and that's where i was for the first part of my chicago marathon i was actually um um blown away i didn't think i could hold zone two so i knew i was running uh, a little too slow and i could put pick up the pace um picking up the pace basically for me uh, the marathon effort should be zone three which is um a point where the actual production of energy from fat is decreasing because you don't have enough oxygen and you know fat oxidation requires more oxygen if i remember right than than uh, glycogen so at some point your body just decides okay we've got to use the glycogen uh, carbs and uh zone three will go up to about 50 50. all right so it might be 50 percent from fat 50 percent from carbs it's still a lot from fat if you've trained that phase and also those numbers might be slightly different per individual but once you have a good aerobic phase um you're you might be at 50 50 which yeah which is um why uh, you want to stay in that zone because you can make that glycogen reserve last until the end of your race um zone four is more of a half marathon or faster effort at that point what happens is you cross over to the majority of your energy coming from carbs and much less from fat you're still getting a lot of energy from fat um so even if you're a 10k or 5k runner never neglect it because that's where the extra boost comes from oftentimes if you maximize your training uh, to be really good at burning carbs but you don't work on the fat system well you'll plateau because you have no more speed no more energy to draw from but yes yeah, so zone four is that that zone with um mostly carbs and it goes up to your lactate threshold, the second lactate threshold. Sometimes it's called, um, that's the point where you go anaerobic basically through lack of oxygen. Um, at, at that point, you start building up lactate and uh, that causes the, the burn. So if you, if you go above that threshold, you're in zone five, that doesn't last long. It lasts, um, 
like really in zone five, it lasts about six minutes. So that's something like a mile effort or uh, you know, those faster races. So for all intents and purposes, marathon should not be run in zone five. You might finish a marathon in zone five if you really feel like it. Uh, but that's, uh, that's not sustainable. You're burning, um, basically only carbs, maybe 10% fat at the most. And, um, and then you're using the anaerobic pathways, which means without oxygen and this could like you're sprinting, that's kind of sprinting speed. So once you have those zones mapped out from your own personal VO2 max test, you're able to use them in training to really figure out which fuel system you want to train. And during a race, you can know as you cross over from zone two to zone three to zone four, you can kind of guess what energy you're drawing from. And so for me, if I go into zone four during a marathon, um, I know that I should hold back. I should slow down because I, I won't be able to last. That's okay. If I'm running a half marathon or a 10 K, then hopefully I can hold it, you know, cause you can hold that probably for one hour. Um, without fueling like you, sh you shouldn't need to get gel during a one hour effort but during the marathon that's it's very helpful to know where you are and if you hit zone four that better be at the end of the race and not not early right so that's that's how you can manage a negative split the best way if you don't pay attention to it and you hit high zone three or zone four at the beginning of a marathon you're almost guaranteed to bunk Wow. Thank you. Um, you know, for explaining all of this, I think you, uh, made me come to conclusions about, about my last 20 marathons or so about heart rate <laughs> zones and what not to do. So ideally try to stay in zone three. And obviously if we want to learn about that, it'd be best to, you know, put that on your Garmin watch face now, just so you can kind of have an estimate. And with all that, how far in your opinion off are the estimated values on your Garmin watch where you put in your age and your weight and all that stuff? How, how far off are they? Are they something for runners that don't have access to VO2 max, max tests or they don't have mm -hmm. it in their budget? How far off is it um, for them to be useful? Right. Well, the standard zones in Garmin and, and Polar or most you know watches or any sort of cardio equipment since they showed up in gyms um they're completely off the reason is um when they started they just went with zone one is you know 50 percent and up and then 60 percent 70 percent 80 percent 90 percent and um those zones are you know just you know standard 10 percent ranges but they don't correlate to anything about running effort and in fact you're running zones will be would be different than your cycling zones so to really pay attention to what happens in running your zones would be um, a little different and um, prior to getting a vo2 max test i was using different zones i think i used um 82 uh trying to look it up but um it starts it starts way higher than the standard Garmin. Um, I, I can't find my reference to them, but, but yeah, um, I'll get back to you on that. But, uh, you know, they, they start at 82% for zone two, up to 88%. And then 
your zone three would be 89 to 94, zone four, 95 to 99, and then your maximum zone of um, zone five would be would be higher. Um, yeah, so so those 50% to 60% zones in Garmin are somewhat misleading, right? So first, first things first is you have to fix those, but the best, obviously, even the zones that I listed that are higher in the 89% range of maximum heart rate, they rely on having a precise max heart rate, which is often not the case. Um, it, it could, you know, most people use the default, which is maybe 220 minus your age. Um, that might work for some people, but it's just, just you know, statistically, um, it's just an average. And for most people that are actually training, especially at the marathon level, your max heart rate might be different, sometimes much higher, sometimes much lower. So you have to find out your own max heart rate, but even then have to think that, okay, if you use percentages of max heart rate, you have to fit in the average, right? This is just a statistical average of what the zones would be for some people. Um, so the best thing really is to get a VO2 max test and make sure that the zones are your own, right? And will I those... Used to, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, look, I, I used to train with the standard zones and I was always off. I could never hit my zone four, zone five. It was impossible. And so it's just because my max heart rate uh, has evolved since I started training. It's gone down and... Uh, um, and yeah, the zones just didn't match. So I only started training at the right intensity after I did a VO2 max test. Okay. And those zones, are they, obviously they change as we age, right? Are they completely fluid? Like, should I wait till I'm in shape to go take a test? Or, hey, I'm just now getting off the couch and I want to run my first marathon. Is now a good time to take that test? I think, I think so. I think, you know, the VO2 max test, um, obviously your zones might evolve after a couple of years of marathon training, but I think it's really helpful so that it can guide your training. So you don't overtrain because overtraining is a really good way to get injured. But the VO2 max test shouldn't be scary. You can ignore the max part of it and you don't have to go all the way to your max heart rate. What you're looking for is really your energy consumption at slower than marathon pace at marathon pace and half marathon pace as you you go faster and faster let's say every minute you speed up a little bit on the treadmill you get that very useful data and yeah you don't need to go all the way to the max heart rate to have actionable heart rate zones and so so for me i don't think i went much faster than 5k pace before i got that useful data so I, yeah, I would recommend everyone try to, you know, go to your local university, the physiology lab, get the test and get the Excel spreadsheet. And, uh, and then when you train, you can make sure you're at the right intensity and uh, it will really speed up your progress. Perfect. Thank you, Martin, for all this information. Super insightful. And if people want more, will there be a YouTube channel? No pressure or anything else in the future? <laughs> uh, no plans for that. No plans for that. I'm, all, I'm focusing on, on my own uh, training, trying to get better, trying to get ready for Boston. Perfect. So we wish you good luck at Boston. What is your goal for Boston? Well, I'd like to be 235, but 
again, the same thing as last time. I don't know how much progress I've made yet. I haven't really uh, tested myself on a race for a, a few months. So we'll find out. But I'll probably start, you know, at that 235 pace, use the same strategy. If I feel good, I'll just speed up over time. And uh, I don't know, maybe it can hit 232 or something like that. That'd be really cool. That'll be interesting. That'd be... Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks, Levy. Thank you, VO2 Martin, for all this wonderful information. I hope everybody took notes. And if not, I think Apple Podcasts now gives you free notes for podcasts. At least that's what the email said to me. So that's pretty exciting. You can go back and read the transcript. But yeah, definitely. Thank you, Martin, for your time. And like I said, I think some listeners will hopefully find that useful and be able to get faster. Yes, we want to be like you, Martin. And that's it for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. And tune in next week. We have a podcast named From Setbacks to Comebacks. I think I may have announced that in the past that it was going to drop a week before, but, you know, here we are, semi-six, so be patient with us. Hopefully it'll drop next week. If not, there'll be some other awesome content available for you just like every week. And with that, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Are you looking for the perfect apparel that mirrors your love for running? Look no further than Run Swag, the go-to store by runners for runners. From witty tees to hoodies that commemorate your marathon majors to crops that get you motivated, Run Swag's got you covered. Discover the perfect blend of comfort and style. Visit www.runswag.com. Run Swag, there's something for every runner.